But happily for police officers, there are those times when police officers give out gifts, like stolen property that's returned. And it must be a much happier case to arise in a police cruiser at someone's home and give that little boy his bike back instead of writing up a ticket for him. That must be a much happier uh, opportunity to serve as a police officer. Well, today as a preacher, I'm not going to be writing a ticket. I'm not going to be telling you about something that is evil or bad. Well, thank you for joining with us again. We're back to the need to keep the Sabbath. From the Free Presbyterian Church in Cloverdale here, we bring the message of God's Word today on the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Firstly, we begin in the book of Romans, and I want to introduce you to the ministry of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, that Welsh preacher who was an influence for God in England uh, right up to the end of the 20th century. I believe he died in 1984. He had a tremendous ministry in Westminster Chapel in London, and uh, he uh, taught on the book of Romans extensively, and today we're going to look at this very text in Romans, where we are told that man is unrighteous because he is ungodly. Ungodliness is the first step in unrighteousness. And Martin Lloyd-Jones had six reasons for this. Now, I want to give them to you today just very briefly. The real essence of sin is ungodliness. If you don't reference it to God's standard, Well, everything's arbitrary. So the real essence of sin is ungodliness. Secondly, ungodliness was the first sin. And that's what happened to Adam and Eve in the garden. They disobeyed God. They got out of fellowship with God. And everything from there on just went downhill. Unrighteousness, this is number three, only becomes possible because of ungodliness. As long as the relationship between man and God remains, the conduct remains. You see this in Adam and Eve before the fall. They loved God. They walked with God. But immediately when they sinned, they were fugitives. Fourthly, the only way to convict all people of sin is to put ungodliness before unrighteousness. When you deal with unrighteousness, you're dealing with particulars, listing particular sins. And the very fact that man is created to glorify God, that is our first duty and task. Everything that fails to glorify God is sin. It is unrighteousness. The royal commandment, number one, is to love the Lord God. The second is to love our fellow man. And when we fail to love God, we cannot love man. We cannot serve our fellow man if we are not rightly related to God. Number five, it is sinful and insulting to God to believe that morality or righteousness is possible apart from him. Idolaters will never please God. No matter how many good works or how kind, gentle, or gracious an idolater is, when he bows down to an image, he offends God. He will never walk with God and will never rise to true righteousness. And then number six, our relationship with God is the primary basis on which we shall be judged. Not the basis of how much money we have, how many people we helped in this world. 
It is our relationship with God is the primary basis in which we shall be judged. Our works will follow us, but how we are related to God is the thing that will determine our future in eternity. And so I must ask you the question, are you right with God? Have you got your sins covered? Are you delivered from that unrighteousness and the guilt of sin? That is the necessary thing. And I pray that God will use the ministry of our church and this broadcast to bring you to personal faith in the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior, recognizing that you've broken God's law, that you are guilty before God, you need a Savior. And that's, of course, how and why Jesus died on the cross to be the all-sufficient Savior that you need. Trust Him. Go to Him today. May the Lord minister to your heart through our songs of praise and the Word of the Lord today. preacher is called to preach the whole counsel of God at all times. And that means that we have to preach the tough things as well as the easy. It's a bit like being a police officer. He has to give out those tickets. Sometimes he has to even write up uh, a charge and accusations and even arrest that person and make them appear at the court. But happily for police officers, there are those times when police officers give out gifts, like stolen property that's returned. And it must be a much happier case to arise in a police cruiser at someone's home and give that little boy his bike back instead of writing up a ticket for him. That must be a much happier uh, opportunity to serve as a police officer. Well, today as a preacher, I'm not going to be writing a ticket. I'm not going to be telling you about something that is evil or bad. I'm going to be talking to you about one of God's great gifts, the gift of one day out of seven 
to worship him. The fourth commandment. And the Lord says to us, remember, it is something that God has in store for every one of his people. Now, the very fact you have the word remember here, it ought to teach us that the keeping one day in seven was not first initiated at Sinai. It was certainly called and codified in the Ten Commandments, but it was not firstly instituted there because it says remember. And the keeping of one day in seven goes back to creation because God was the one who first kept it. When he made the world, he made the world in six days. On the seventh day, he rested. He blessed that day and hallowed it, set it apart as something that was special. And we know that Adam, who was put to work in the Garden of Eden, had that very example and principle to follow. And right down through the patriarchs, right unto Sinai, the giving of the Ten Commandments, those men, women of God, knew that there was one day in seven to keep. Now, before I get to my message today, and my message really is this, the benefits of keeping one day in seven. That is very simple. I simply want to point out the benefits of keeping one day in seven to worship God which is the Lord's command to us, a gift to us, that he may do us good. But before I get there, I have some general remarks, some things I want to clear up, because there's a few strange things being taught on this. Firstly, I'd point out that this fourth commandment in the list of ten is the longest one. It takes up verse 8 right through to 11. If you were to count the words or the lines, you would see that it is the longest. There is more space, more time, more emphasis upon this command than the others. Does that mean that we're going to rate them that some are superior and some are inferior? No. But all I'm going to say is that it's equally important as the others. And I say that because there are people and ideas that really there's only nine commandments. And this one about keeping one in seven is just simply uh, an old concept. It's the last of the first table. You know that the Ten Commandments are divided up into two tables. One is the first four is our duty to God, and the remaining six in that table is our duty to man. And so this commandment has to do with our duty Godward. It's what God wills, and it is what is our relationship, our friendship, and our personal walk with God. And so it's really about you and your God. The friendship you have, the association that you have, it is between you and God. The third thing I would say that it is based on creation. And because it's based on creation, it is something that is for all the world for all time. As long as this world exists, 
This commandment stands. Everything that's based in creation is forever, as long as the world continues. And that is a very absolute requirement. It was also separate from what is called holy Sabbaths or holiday Sabbaths. You remember those various festival times that the Jews were to keep under the Levitical law. There were special seasons, special holy days, and they were to perform various ceremonies. Many times they were referred to as Sabbaths. In the New Testament, those ceremonial Levitical Sabbaths, plural, are no longer the practice of the early church and New Testament Christians. They were fulfilled in the death and the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. And so we don't keep those Sabbaths as Jewish Sabbaths, but when it comes to this holy day, one in seven, we are still to keep them. The Sabbath is referred to as God's holy day. It's singular, and it is therefore set apart. Now, it was adopted in Israel with a very serious application. Uh, you have in this text the word sanctify. God sanctified the day. He set it apart, or he hallowed it. Now, in Israel, it was kept very, very specifically. It applied to the rich man. It applied to the poor man. It applied to his animals. A farmer could not cause his oxen to work on the Sabbath, nor could he ask his servant to work on the Sabbath, nor even a slave, because this was God's day of rest. It was set apart and kept very special. In the New Testament, you'll find that the early Christians also kept one day in the week, and they followed the rest principle. It's a day of rest from worldly labor. And while there is a switch of day and there's a switch of many things, yet the principle of one day of rest was continued on into the New Testament church. God himself continued this for 40 years when he fed the Israelites by the manna. And you remember how they were told that they were to gather the manna on six days— and on the sixth day gathered double, because on the seventh there wasn't going to be any. And for 40 years, God applied the principle of rest by feeding the manna six days, and the seventh there was no gathering. There was no gathering. And God taught his people a whole generation for 40 years before he led them into the promised land on that very principle. It was also a covenant sign between Israel and God. Uh, Speak thou unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily, my Sabbaths ye shall keep, 
For it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations. A sign. And here is this special relationship between Israel and God. And this was to be a badge, an outward symbol that would make them stand out from all other peoples. And of course, once they would get into the land of Canaan, the heathen, they didn't keep a day in seven. They didn't keep this fourth commandment. But Israel must. And it would be for them for all time a special mark of their relationship with God. Now, that can continue on into today. Christians around the world gather on the first day of the week. We gather on the first day of the week because of the resurrection. And Christians rest from their labor one day in seven, close the shop, put the tools down from the business. I'm not going to take a job where I have to work Sundays unless I have to. And I'm going to keep a day of rest to worship my God on the first day of the week. It's a sign. It's a witness, a testimony that we are Christians. very fact that you leave your home on Sunday morning and that you are not around for whatever hours, that you're at church, it is a testimony that you're not serving the world, but that you are seeking to live for God. Now, our Westminster Confession of Faith has something to say on this, and it ties it into our worship that this keeping of the Sabbath day is part and parcel with keeping our worship up with God. <clears throat> A day of worship, as it is the law of nature, that in general, this is Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 21, and it says uh, of the law of nature that in general, a due proportion of time be set apart for the worship of God, so in his word, by a positive, moral, and perpetual commandment, binding all men in all ages, he hath particularly appointed one day in seven for a Sabbath to be kept holy unto him, and which from the beginning of the world to the resurrection of Christ was the last day of the week, which in Scripture is called the Lord's Day and is to be continued to the end of the world as the Christian Sabbath. So there's the doctrine of this is a part now of the confession of the Christian church. Now, I have one last thing on general remarks I want to point out, that this keeping of Sunday as our Sabbath, our day of rest, was not changed by some Roman emperor in the third or fourth century. Seventh-day Adventists would tell you that. You know that they keep Saturday instead of Sunday. And they would say that it was Constantine, a Roman emperor, that changed from one day to the other, from Saturday to Sunday. Well, that is not true, because this changeover from Saturday to Sunday took place in the very first century. It was the practice of the New Testament Christians even while the New Testament was being written. And we have a good number of passages that teach us that very, very 
clearly. But let me give you a quote from an early father of the church, a man called Ignatius in the first century. Let everyone that loveth Christ keep holy the first day of the week, the Lord's day. Thomas Watson, uh, he was a Puritan writing in the 1600s. He stated after that quote, this day has been observed by the church of Christ above 1,600 years. And so this tradition, a good tradition, this practice of Christians meeting on the first day of the week, it's nothing new, was not changed by some political leader, but it was the practice from the very get-go, right from the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And this has been the foundation of Christianity down through the ages. In Protestant, Bible-believing countries, the practice of keeping one day holy, the first day of the week, has been a norm, and it has become the bedrock of Christian nations, certainly since the Reformation, and when the power of God and many were gathered in to faith in the Lord Jesus. Now, interestingly, France had an experiment that they tried to change seven-day week to a 10-day week. And for about 18 months, they tried to keep it up, but it didn't work. They had to give up on the whole idea of changing to a 10-day week. As I looked up that, I discovered that Russia, in 1930, for 10 years, tried to change it to a five-day week. But they had to give up on that after a period of 10 years. And that was when uh, communism was at its peak, trying to eradicate any notion of God. And so, the ungodly will want to eradicate this notion of one day in seven as God's day, a day of rest. Now, there are two prerequisites if we're going to keep one day for God. First of all, we need a soul that loves the Lord. I don't expect that you'll be very much interested in keeping the first day of the week, unless on legalistic terms, unless you really love God. And if you're saying to me, but I'm a rebel to God, I have no interest. Well, you're a rebel. You're not going to want to keep his day. But if you love the Lord your God, and you remember this giving of the Ten Commandments was all prefaced on the basis that the royal law is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, mind, and strength. So this is a, a, a desire, a wondrous thing, if we love the Lord our God. The other prerequisite is that we know that we have a God who loves our souls. And when God ordained and commanded that we keep one day and seven, He did it for our good, that we may be free to worship Him. And that's what redemption does. The children of Israel were brought out of Egypt. They were set free from bondage. And then they were given the Sabbath that they would be free to worship God. And that's what God is doing today. He is not only redeeming us from the world and all its sin, but He has given us this one day to worship Him. When you can shut down the books of the week, when you can give up the toil and the pressures of life, and the deadline is Saturday evening. If it doesn't get done by Saturday evening, then it's Monday morning. And that now becomes a day set apart 
that we major on walking, worshiping, and witnessing for the Lord our God. Now, I'm going to get to the six things now, the six benefits of keeping the Sabbath day. And there are wonderful benefits. First of all, by keeping the Sabbath day, we're reminded of our duty to worship God. We have in this commandment, remember. Remember. That means that we're inclined to forget. And I know it's very possible from Monday to Saturday to go through the week with very little time for God. It's possible to get into your work world, into the, the racetrack of life, and have very little time for God. But this one day in the week calls us to remember, not forget, so organize our lives, so arrange our affairs, that we don't take other things on on Sundays. We keep this day for worship, for reading, praying, walking with God. It's a day set aside. And God wanted Israel to be a different nation, a different nation, that they would worship Him. And here is God's gift to us. God is not a pharaoh. He's not a hard taskmaster. He's not saying, but ah, get back to the bricks. We need more bricks of mortar. We need more production. No, you not only have a body, you have a soul. And God uses this one day in seven to be a worshiper of God. Well, I hope this message has touched a note in your own heart. I am greatly burdened for the church of the Lord Jesus today because of the laxity of uh, keeping God's day. We are seeing the malls filled on Sunday. We see the sports field that are attracting many, uh, both players and, and, and those observing, watching. It's a family day out on the uh, soccer field or the ball pitch. And uh, God's day is broken in so many ways, even in innocent ways, ways that would be perfectly fine on a Monday or Saturday. But God's day is desecrated when we abandon spiritual things and we fill that day with carnal or material things. And I want you just to meditate on this. Go to the Bible, uh, look at uh, Exodus chapter 20, and check out for yourself God's Word and that commandment to keep that seventh day holy, set apart unto God. And God will bless you for it. It will change your whole life. And it will be a means of grace to encourage you and your family to live more and more for God and to die more and more to sin. It's a, it's a means by which we live for God. If I can be of personal help, please be in touch. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. Call me, please, at 604-897-2040. For all the details of our broadcasts across Canada, go to ltbs.ca. This broadcast comes to you today from the Free Presbyterian Church in Cloverdale, located at 18790 58th Avenue, Surrey, at the corner of 188th Street and 58th Avenue. 
Our website is cloverdealfpc.ca and there you can find gospel articles, links to our sermons, a gospel booklet called A New Beginning and a link to watch our services online. You're warmly invited to attend any of our Sunday services at 10.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. to meet with us as we worship God and to hear the preaching of His precious Word. We also meet for Bible study and prayer every Wednesday evening at 7.30 p.m. Our Sunday School for Children and Adult Bible Class meet every Lord's Day at 9.30 a.m. from September to June. You can contact us at 604-567-1091. Alternatively, you can email me at pastor.cloverdealfpc at gmail.com. Again, for all this information, please visit our website at cloverdealfpc.ca. Our burden is that you will hear and understand the gospel that will bring you to know the Lord Jesus Christ and his great salvation. This is Pastor Andrew Fitton. Thank you for listening today. And be sure to listen Monday to Friday at 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our one-hour church service as we worship the Lord through the ministry of His Word.